0: You are listening to Tiller Hewitt's Leadership Lens Podcast. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader who wants to stay relevant and impactful, you are in the right place. At Tiller Hewitt, we believe it's faster, smarter, and less painful to learn from leaders who have walked before us. That's why we
1: invite top leaders to be our guests on the Leadership Lens. Your host is Tammy Tiller Hewitt, founder of Tiller Hewitt Healthcare Strategies. Let's jump into the podcast. My guest today is Darcy Craven, CEO at Archbold Medical Center. I think we all agree we learn more from our mistakes than our successes. Darcy reveals his biggest leadership regret, one that I wish universities would do a better job teaching, but for many of our listeners could be a leadership game changer. He shares his secrets for measurable strategic growth, his competitive principle, many fast and easy retention strategies, as well as what leaders look for when looking to advance internal candidates. Hey, Darcy. Welcome to the Leadership Lens Podcast. Thanks for being my guest today.
0: I appreciate you having me. Thank you.
1: You had a really cool journey to the C-suite. You were born and raised in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I believe you officially started your healthcare care career as an occupational therapist and ran a rehab department, and then you led several great health systems, both for-profit and non-for-profit. So let me ask you, did you always want to be in a leadership role, or did someone convince you?
0: I tell people I kind of just fell backwards into it. It's not something I ever thought about. I was a therapist. That was my dream to be a therapist. I worked hard and Become a certified hand therapist. I was working at the BMW plant in South Carolina. So everything was going great. And I just decided to go back and uh, get my master's of business. I was working for Spartan Regional Medical Center at the time. And then kind of just fell into administration, right? When I was graduating with my MBA, a job opened up across town at Mary Black Hospital, which just happened to be owned by Community Health Systems at the time. I got offered the job as Director of Rehab. And that kind of started for me. I, Community Health Systems really developed me moved me around quite a bit but put me into their leadership development track and all of a sudden I was running one of their hospitals Wow
1: see what happens when you keep your head down and just keep doing a good job and not jockey for a position all the time do you feel like your clinical role or that clinical experience helped you in any way be a better leader
0: I think it definitely did. Age-wise, I was quite a bit more mature than pe- other people in the same similar role that I was in. So when I was an assistant CEO or chief operating officer, you know, I was well into my 30s. I wasn't in my 20s or just coming out of an MHA program. So I think that helped me. Plus, the thing that helped me the most is always working in hospitals. Since I was counting my education, 22 years old, I've spent every day in a hospital. I have a really intimate knowledge of the clinical side of hospitals, how hospitals run, and that certainly helped me as a leader.
1: Would you recommend to one of your colleagues, if they're looking at a candidate that has that experience like you did versus someone who doesn't, that they should place their bet on the one with the clinical experience and maturity?
0: It's health, I think personality is the most important thing. You can have clinical experience and still not be a great leader. A good mm-hmm. clinician doesn't always make a great leader. I think we learn that all the time when we promote great clinicians into management roles. It certainly helps me create relationships with staff members when staff members know that I've sat where they sat or sit now mm. and I've gone through the things they went through. I still try to remember that. When I make decisions, I try to make them through that kind of lens. When I was in that role or in that position, how would that affect me or what would I think of that? That's one of the reasons I did get into administration because I was working as a staff therapist. and I remember every day I'd go home and what are these people doing? was so that's one of the reasons I went back. I'm like, I can do a better job than these people. So I went back to school.
1: Good for you. So was that the pivotal point in your career when you're like, I think the animals are running the zoo here, I need to take over? Or what was a that's pivotal I, point? Or
0: My goal at that time was director of rehab. I was so rehab focused. That was my little world. I, I did believe that I could be a very effective leader in the rehab realm. I think going to a smaller hospital like Mary Black where I got to really get to know the CEO and He got to know me, and that's where he introduced me to his boss in Nashville, and that's kind of where it all started for me is is that introduction. I love it.
1: What do you think the top leadership challenges are today, both professionally and organizationally? And if you would add, how do you face these challenges?
0: Organizationally, it's matching resources with revenue nowadays. We always want to be moving the quality needle forward. We always want to be moving the patient experience needle forward. How do you do that in today's environment where resources are so scarce? Staffing is just such a challenge. Physician relationships, physicians just like staff have become so mobile. People no longer just stay in in an area because that's where they live and they're going to live there forever. Drop of a hat, we'll pick up and move somewhere else. We just have to have a great environment for people to work in, and it's very tough nowadays. I think that's the biggest challenge for organizations. I think as professionals, always trying to stay on top of constant changes in healthcare, I it's never ending. How do we make sure we're meeting the needs of our community and our staff and our physicians at the same time uh, we're responsible for the financial well-being of the organization and and matching those things can be challenging to say the least.
1: Isn't it funny how 10 years ago we would talk about how healthcare changes so radically Mm -hmm. and – it was nothing like it is today, and we thought it was okay. so crazy then.
0: Something's going to have to change in health care with the way the hospitals are reimbursed. The risk hospitals take nowadays in terms of value-based purchasing just doesn't afford a lot of margin in terms of investing in your people. You know, mm-hmm. That's the real problem. One of the biggest issues here in Thomasville is that there's not a lot of daycare opportunities for staff. So I get asked all the time, can Archibald help with whether it's running a daycare or help with daycare? and we certainly want to do those kind of things, but those things all cost money. You have the resources to to do those things long term. You can't just enter into something like that for a year or two. That's a twenty-five oh. year commitment.
1: Is that something you guys are looking at?
0: we seriously. I think it's it's an important thing for our staff. It's important for retention and recruitment. We're really just trying to decide whether we should do it ourselves or partner with a local YMCA and doing it. And like everything else, we can't find those people. Whether it's patient care techs or unit secretaries, it's very difficult to find that the, the class of staff member. Daycare is no different. It's very difficult to staff those things. One of them locally closed this year. That's why it's such a huge problem.
1: I read a book recently. It was called Seven Hidden Reasons Employees Leave. It was a study of 200,000 employees, and they asked them to cite the reason that they quit their job. 79%, almost 8 out of 10 said it was due to the lack of appreciation. I think there's a lot of things we can do around just showing our appreciation. And so many people think, well, that's too basic, that's too simple. But what are some ways that you tangibly show appreciation to your staff?
0: I think this comes from my background. I I know that it's the little things that matter to staff, not just the annual picnic that every hospital does or hospital week activities that we do once a year. It's just got to be constant little things that we're doing, whether it's food trucks in the parking lot, My Gino and I always walk around the hospital talking to people. One thing I did in Buffalo before I come in here, and we're going to start doing here, is when we do our rounding, we take a candy wagon with us. That sounds ridiculous. Ah. The the staff love it. They just love seeing it coming. They love grabbing a granola bar or a bag of chips or whatever they want out of it, and it costs nothing to do that. It means something to people, and Another thing I do here that I've done everywhere I've been is birthday lunches. That sounds corny, too, but every month, every employee who has a birthday is invited to lunch with me. We Mm. just talk. We feed them pizza and wings, and we just talk. And it's an opportunity for everyone to get FaceTime with administration once a year. And they appreciate that. It doesn't cost anything. They're very little. People do like Uh, that. We have 50, 60 people a month showing up to that.
1: Well, listen, I have such a sweet tooth, that candy wagon, instantly the song, The Candyman Can, came to mind. You'll be seeing that as you walk through the halls. I love that, Darcy. That's awesome. What do you think are the warning signs that an organization is getting close to running off the track?
0: I think you can feel it. I think if you listen to staff members and you can feel the stress and morale going down on your staff, I really think that's where it starts. So you can feel the tension in a hospital, and I think that's the number one place. If you're always talking to your staff or always getting feedback, and you develop relationships where they're comfortable talking to you and saying things that maybe aren't great, that's where you really get the warning signs that something's going wrong. Same with the physicians. Physicians are not quiet. They're more willing <laughs> to come to the CEO and talk about when things aren't going right. I've been in hospitals where the environment can be defined as toxic, and I think you can sense those things when you're around and talk to people.
1: From an insider's perspective, how would you describe the current state of the U.S. healthcare care system?
0: I think it's heavily tilted towards the payers right now. And I think the pandemic has exacerbated that. I think that's what we're seeing. When hospitals and the challenges of inflation and the cost of labor, cost of supplies, at a time where hospitals are all losing money if not for government stimulus, the payers are announcing record profits, and I think that's a problem for us. The average consumer has high deductible health plans, so they're coming in, they're paying a lot out of their pocket. Hospitals are trying to make ends meet, trying to give, pay their staff as much as they can so they can retain them. And all the time, the commercial payers are getting fat and happy, and I think that's something that has to change in our country. Growing up in Canada, I do like the private based system that we have in the States, but I think it's gotta be a little more fair.
1: What are some of the major lessons or a major lesson that you learned as you led through the last almost three years of a pandemic?
0: Never moved during a pandemic.
1: Oh, that is good. I I forgot you came right in the middle.
0: In August of 2020. So I was in New York and Buffalo started the pandemic for the first six months and came down here and been here since August of 20. Well, I learned up there and here's the teamwork. Hospitals are full of great people. People get into healthcare because they want to work with people. It doesn't matter whether it was housekeeper or doctors, nurses, administrators, people they want the best. And the pandemic did bring the best out of people, even though it's been incredibly tough on people, especially nurses and staff working in emergency rooms and ICUs, floors where we're staffing COVID units. It's been incredibly, incredibly tough on people.
1: Is there one piece of advice you would give to a young leader starting off today?
0: Spend time listening and learning. I've seen this in my career where young masters prepared come out of college with their MHAs or MBAs and they get jobs in administration, but they really don't know anything about health care. They've spent their time in an academic setting, and that's so different than the real world of hospital operations. Spend time learning, listening, and talking to people. Okay. The staff and the doctors really understand what's important in the hospital, and we need to listen to them.
1: You did a good job as an OT, and clearly you were spotted and identified by leadership as a future leader that helped open some doors or at least expose you. I think there's a huge myth around that, thinking that people have to grandstand and raise their hand. How do you think, again, advice for a young leader of that balance between wanting to be acknowledged or recognized but not wanting to stay quiet so you get passed over. As a leader, what would you be looking for across your organization as well as with your experience? What advice would you give?
0: I think you're always looking for someone that does a great job in their role, whatever that role is, you know, willing to do more. I would tell young people that want to get ahead and volunteer for extra projects, asked to work on projects. I think that means a lot to a hospital administrator, CEO, chief operating officer. If someone says, hey, I heard you talking about this at the last staff meeting, I'd really like to learn more about that, like to be involved in that. Uh, Those are the kind of people that I think really do get ahead. Awesome.
1: Is there one decision you made in your career that you regret making?
0: The biggest regrets I have in my career are when I think as you grow as a leader, you learn how to do this better. It never gets easy, but not dealing with low performers early enough. I can think back in my time to even as a rehab director where I had therapists or therapy assistants working for me that I didn't deal with in a timely fashion. It really did affect the entire team. People are watching to see how you deal with people. They know this person calls in sick every Friday or when they're at work, they can half a load. Those people, they don't want to work with low performers. If you don't deal with those people, the good people, the high performers, are going to leave. And I think it takes time to learn that. I can think of a couple times early in my career where I should have dealt with somebody earlier.
1: We've had the opportunity to work together in a couple organizations, but for the listeners, Hiller Hewitt works with healthcare leaders who want to consistently deliver strategic growth and measurable results. Can you share a couple of your secrets or what you would say are your secret success strategy around growth and results?
0: Number one, it's relationships, right? Building relationships with not just employed doctors, but independent physicians and making sure you always are, are developing a culture of growth. A lot of markets, especially this one, I think when I came to it, it's a smaller market, sole provider, more or less, in the market, and I think the team was kind of just focused on, hey, we get all the business already. When I came here, I'm like, you always have to be looking for growth because someone's always looking to take your business away from you. So you always have to be looking for that little extra half a percent of market share or where is that? Get that from data, right? Always looking at data, market share, where is the opportunity? Where are we, call it bleeding, but where are we losing business? What service lines can we shore up? And I think it's important to constantly be looking at the data and talking to physicians about where they think opportunity is because they know, too, where referrals are going and where there might be opportunities, what communities they would like to go. And that's one of the reasons I think your sperm is so valuable is uh, the physician liaison and, and setting up those programs. where We're taking doctors out to meet referral sources and talking to them and shaking hands and asking for business, and not everyone does that.
1: Well, I know because I've seen firsthand twice in two different large organizations that you're just a very physician-centric leader. You don't move forward without having them at the table. I think that is a huge secret that a lot of people either shy away from, think that they know what the doctors want instead of having them involved. I've had the privilege of seeing firsthand. I think that's one of your secrets.
0: It's a firm belief of mine that doctors have to participate in strategy or else well, your strategy will fail. You can want to build a service line or you want to grow a service line, but if you don't bring the doctors to the table and talk to them about it and get them on board, it's just not going to work. I really do believe whether it's the Employed Positions Network, I want them to participate in managing the network. I want them invested in it, not just feel like employees. That's just that yeah. I never work. I think that comes from my background as a therapist, too, though. I spent my entire career talking to doctors. It's not something I'm scared of, and I've been yelled at, and had bad conversations with doctors but that's part of life right as an administrator you got to be willing to have hard difficult conversations with everyone not just doctors i think some people do shy away from those things and it never works out for the best doctors want you to be straight with them transparent with them even if it's something they don't want to hear
1: if you could be doing anything other than hospital administration curious what would it be
0: I guess if I wasn't doing this, I'd still be a therapist, but i like to think I'd be tending bars somewhere in the Caribbean.
1: There you go. I love it. I would come there for sure. I know you have crazy weeks. Start early, goes late, but what do you look forward to doing on the weekend?
0: I spend family time. My wife is still my daughter at home. My son is in college and he's on the beach, so we try to see him as much as we can. But really do a lot of family time. Love to watch football on TV our football season. We love to travel. Thankfully, I think the pandemic is hopefully winding down. We're actually going on a cruise in three weeks for the first time in two and a half years. We love to go on cruises, so getting back to normal. When the kids were young, we did Disney now we graduated to real Caribbean Now they're older. Oh, very good.
1: I want to do some rapid fire questions. do We call it the Fast Five. So what are you currently reading?
0: Well, I have two books. One that I was for personal use and a Sailing for Dummies. I have a goal of learning how to sail. And the other one is a book my board chair gave me that I just started reading. It's kind of a leading through change called Switch, and I just started reading it. It seems very good, though.
1: How do you start your day?
0: If I'm really energetic, I do work out. I I try to work out five days a week, usually. Sometimes that's before work, sometimes it's after. If I don't swim or get on the rowing machine, just have a cup of coffee and read the Wall Street Journal. just try to kind of get my engine going.
1: Yeah, get your head in the game? Yeah. What's the most important characteristic of a leader?
0: 100% integrity. If you Mm. cannot build trusting relationships with people, you're going to fail.
1: And last, what's one word or piece of advice you would give to your younger self?
0: Don't waste so much time. I went back to school with my MBA when my daughter was born, so my second child was a baby. I I could have had 10 degrees in the time I wasted before I had kids. Oh,
1: that's good. Well, Darcy, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I so appreciate you being on the Leadership Lens and hope we can have you back again soon.
0: Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Tiller Hewitt works with leaders who want to consistently deliver strategic growth and measurable results. The organization is recognized as the leading experts in strategic growth, network integrity, and physician engagement. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Lens. For more leadership resources and strategic growth solutions, visit TillerHewitt.com.